1: Let's all go to the lobby for the concession stand with your host J.W. Caldwell. Hello and welcome to the concession stand. I am your host J.W. Caldwell. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at the Florida uh, the Florida Movie Guy, and you can find me at Twitter at JWPA Movie Guy. Uh, I am, you know, movie guy of two states, and what a what a great week it is to be a movie guy of two states with Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice opening this week. Uh, this show is going to be a little bit different from the usual ramblings of a crazy movie movie guy in Florida. Uh, we actually have a guest this week. Uh, joining me from Film Buff Online will be Rich Drees. Uh, he's a comic book aficionado and fellow film junkie. Um, I get along great with him, and he actually, you know, we had a really nice long talk about Batman versus Superman. That's going to take up most of this episode. I'm just going to do a quick review and then we'll get right to the business at hand, which is, you know, Rich and I, spoiler heavy, going crazy dissecting this giant mega opus from Zack Snyder. Um so let's get to my quick take on it. I think it's a solid double. I think it does what it it sets out to do, um which, you know, may or may not be the right thing for it to do, but it sets out to Set up the DC Cinematic Universe in kind of a nuclear measure, uh, very fast, setting everything up, boom, and you know, re- basically in a response to Marvel, but also because the take is a little bit darker. Um, you know, what works, Ben Affleck works, Gal Gadot works. Uh, what doesn't work, the tone doesn't work. Um, and the slapdash nature of the of the story. Uh, is at times borderline incoherent. Lots of places, lots of different things going on in the first hour and a half, hour and forty minutes. Uh, that's another thing; it's overly long. Uh, there, there's not a lot of editing going on. Um, it is, you know, it's shot beautifully. The effects are top notch. It's a two hundred. It looks like a two hundred fifty million dollar movie. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, it's got a lot of working parts, and some of them work better than others. Um, you know, for every Ben Affleck being really great as Batman, who I actually think could become a truly great Batman uh, given the opportunity from Warner brothers. Uh, you know, right now he's still behind Keaton and Bale for me, but there is enough of a, a hope that if Affleck gets behind the cowl again, he'll get, he'll get an amazing opportunity to become uh, the Batman for the ages. The, the, the Batman uh, Gal Gadot is really good at as Wonder Woman. She's great. Eisenberg doesn't fare as well as Lex Luthor. Um, he's written as our first millennial villain, and you know it's it's Ledger-ish, but not nearly as compelling as Heath Ledger's Joker. So you have that little nugget that's kind of like he's all over the place. You don't know what his motivations are. That's part of the storytelling problem. Uh, you know, the movie jumps around a lot. You know, we're in the Indian Ocean, then we're in Africa, then we're in Metropolis, and then we're Gotham. Where Gotham and Metropolis are situated is a little bit problematic. We're going to get into those spoiler issues all there. It had a big opening weekend, almost a half a billion dollars in the box office till already uh, worldwide, which is great. Um, Big question is, what does it do next week? But for now, Warner Brothers executives are smiling year to year. I think, you know, for the most part, it sets up and does everything it wants to do. It's basically a two hour and 40 minute trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is coming down the pike. Um, and there's, there are some good things to latch on to. The fight's really good. Batman versus Superman is a decent fight. It's realistic and it has a beginning and middle and end, and it has a winner. Uh, so, you know, it does some things right. Um, it's a solid double, I think, for what they were trying to do. Um, and with, with that, I'm now bringing in Rich Drees. So Rich... How do you feel about Zack Snyder? Well, first of all, uh, let me, you know, place some cards
0: down about Zack Snyder. You know, my feeling. He, he's a stylist. He's a great stylist. He's a great visual guy. Uh, he comes up with some amazing visuals. I don't think they're really in service of any kind of storytelling ability that he may have,
1: though. Uh, oh, no, the, know, he, the, that he, visual. A lot of his you're right. That visual Wait. of Batman coming over the horizon and seeing the dark side symbol. For for those who are the uninitiated, the dark side symbol with the fire pits raging in the foreground, incredible, incredible visual. We're,
0: we're gonna get to that sequence, trust <laughs> me. Uh,
1: uh, that's that's one of the sequences that's that's wrong for me. But I, I oh, uh, amazingly, uh, yeah. So, but like I said, I I'm, I'm I've hit upon it before, and I I was talking about it in the line as I was waiting to see the movie. I feel it's a Nolan curse. It's become DC's Nolan curse where we have this we have this great director Chris Nolan, a wonderful amazing director does incredible stuff that's 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 divisive. It's hard to watch. It's it's kind of it's challenging film material, you know? And I think he brought a tone to the Batman universe that all of all of a sudden they're like, "Yeah, let's make a dark Superman and let's make a dark this and Justice League uh, you know, if you watch the old Justice League Unlimited or the Justice League, you know, cartoon show or anything, you know, super friends for God's sake, even going way, way back, really dating me and you, Rich, if you, if you watch any, of, <laughs> maybe <laughs> me, um, if you, if you watch any of those things, the fun, the thing about it is there's a sense of hope and there's a sense of teamwork and working together and we're going to do whatever we can to stop and they're jokes, There there's humor and in this world, unfortunately, you know, we, we're in a very cynical, jaded, bleak. It's, you know, it's too grim to be fun and too bleak to be thrilling. You know what I mean? Like, it's... It just doesn't... For me, for me the first joke in this movie, the first
0: quip, the first moment of lightness in this movie comes almost at the two-hour mark. And that's, that's that little smart-alecky comment Martha Kent throws at, um the guys who kidnapped her are going to, you know, flamethrower her. And, and, and it just jumped out at me so much. I like, oh, a light moment.
1: I pulled out my phone and checked the time. I was just like, how far into this movie are we that it took to get to this? Oh, two hours. Two hours in a two-hour and 40-minute movie before we had the first joke. And and here's, here's the stuff. Some of the Alfred stuff is funny, but it's more the most depressing, funny. It's more like... A, you know, a bar closing at 2 a.m. funny. <laughs> it- it, it, they're, they're barbed comments, satirical comments, you know, that he's
0: making or, you know, kind of like just saying to himself, it's not a good, I don't want to say laugh line because then it suddenly sounds like we're going for like Zoolander style jokes or something. It, it's not a moment that allows, it, they may reveal character about Alfred or about whoever else might say it, but
1: it's that. chuckle Yeah and it, and and that's the thing I I think tonally uh, Snyder's deaf. He's tone deaf. He's as deaf as Lucas was at the end with the scripts and the Tinier not realizing the dialogue he was delivering for his characters was going to land with a thud. You know what I mean? Um Oh yeah. So one of the things that I think also doesn't really work the, the hope for future justice league, where are we going with this particular Dark version. If we're going to dark side and we're going to this, you know, a completely dark version, and we're going from the nightmare sequences, the nightmare sequences, Rich, are so out of place. They're so jarring. Um, you know, one two of them are, are you know, he has he has these dark visions, these dark nightmares, and now we're giving Batman visions. Are we giving him visions because we're just giving him arbitrary powers now? Like, or are we you know is it like what they think you know when you, in the one moment in the film the, the spoiler alert where i i believe it's the flash coming back through time jumping through time uh basically saying i'm i'm too early i'm too early uh rescue lois that's the key right to everything just rescue lois make sure lois stays alive and then batman has the 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 dark vision about the with the demons and the dark side symbol and you also have that vision being—is you know, it a prophecy? Because it's showing us these things, and um, but at the same time, it's also reflecting his fear about Superman becoming a despotic lord The, the ultimate right—it it, is—it is a dream sequence that is, I think, for Snyder and Goyer and Terrio is designed to tell you what's coming. But <laughs> you know, Batman's never had that power. So I don't know where I don't know where we're getting it from, I don't know where it's coming from, I don't know why we're doing it. And the other side of it, it it's so dark and grim and just you know, Batman is literally in that sequence he's killing people left and right. And and he's yeah. going left and right from the camera angle. He is literally shooting people in the face and walking to the next person and shooting the next person. And and it's one of those things where I actually uh, I had a huge argument with somebody about this, and you tell me what you think. I actually think they're they're not even they're not even going to mine the very ample storage space of DC Comics. I think they're mining something really recent. I I was looking at that whole future reference with the Flash saying save Lois, make sure Lois lives because we don't want because the, the vision that Batman has is Superman despot. Superman has his own. You know, uh, you know, army, and they're all wearing the Superman armbands. I viewed it more as Injustice, which is the video game that came out two years ago. Which and is that's what I've heard as well. I'm not a gamer, so you know. That's well, okay. Too much. But I will say that I did like the Flash coming back. You know, supposedly, you know, apparently coming back from the future with a warning. I uh, well, that's, that's that. That because that's. that's Crisis on Infinite Earths from 86. Right, and that's, and that's cool, but I don't know that they're doing it for the cool reason. Like, I think you're right. I think it's like, what, what's one of the flash power, like, that's the other thing about these, these moments, this foreshadowing, even, you know, of the Justice League of the other moment, like, they're just, like, they're, they seem so forced, and, like, they're so non-organic, and, and you have to bring up Marvel in this regards. You have to bring up Marvel and, and how, how elegantly crafted Marvel's tie-ins and beats and moments and little things, the Easter eggs. The Easter eggs are supposed to be stuff you find hidden, right? Yeah. Snyder's Easter eggs are, they're giant eggs right out of Willy Wonka and they're right in front of you. And you they're g- alien eggs. And they open up and they just jump on your face. look at this, and then it jumps on your face and strangles you with them. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, you bring up the dark side uh, nightmare imagery, and then you have to bring up how conveniently they they find a Lex Drive that uh, has... First off, it has all the, you know, every Justice League character, except for the Green Lantern. Um, and they're all conveniently coded... Exactly. With with their logos and as if as if Lex now has prophecy powers and he knows exactly what all of these heroes are going to be, and, and so you have this weird moment where you know, and it, it's kind of a good moment between Bruce and Diana, you know, between uh, Affleck and Godot, where they you know they have a, a little bit of a toying romance kind of thing, which is going to be odd, frankly, if they decide to go with the Wonder Woman-Batman romance, which, uh, you know, I don't know that they've ever tried it, but I think they're looking at it like, well, who has chemistry, and who are the big stars, and plus we have Amy Adams, you know, like, so we don't even want to get into what, what you know, what's going on in the comics with, with Wonder Woman and Superman. Um, but I, I really, it, the Injustice video game, it basically starts with a moment where the Joker kills Lois Lane. And, and Superman kills the Joker, and once he kills the Joker, he just realizes... I'm going to take over the world. It's a horrible moment. The Joker blows up Metropolis with a nuclear bomb. That's the opening of the game. And basically the game is, is spent playing his characters, jumping around, trying to stop Superman in the future. So it, I, I don't know where they're headed. I don't know where they're going. But the, 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 the introduction of the Justice League characters is so forced... Uh, And so non-organic. And it makes you long for, like, elegant... Elegant Easter eggs. And I was like, oh my god, where are we... And people, like, think it's cool. Like, oh, there's a flash drive that has all their logos on it. Fantastic. And I was, like, kind of sitting there going... This is way too easy. Lex knows what they do already. Lex knows who they are already. You know what I mean? Like, Lex knows everything. And you're right. The, The concept that you're rooting for Lex to win... And Lex does win... And and let's talk about Lex as a millennial villain. I'm old. I want to, go, I, want to I want to go back just for uh, a um First of all, with that dream, like I said, you know, there
0: there's some flipping things they want to show. Batman's fears about Superman—that's great. They also want to hint at what's coming up, which seems to be maybe something different. That's fine too. They also want to shove in the um, the Flash thing. If they had separated those out into three different um, things. Where where you have Bruce have the, the unmasking dream. Uh, which, you know, kinda of gives us his fears about Superman, you know, possibly thinking he's a godlike person and taking over. If you have another dream about dark side, parademons and stuff like that, that's fine too. But putting those two ideas together is
1: confusing, and, and frankly, they're a little conflicting. Right, because... make sense overall. Right, from a comic <laughs> book perspective... Right, because Darkseid isn't going to put him in charge of anything, and Superman isn't going to take over Apocalypse, so... Like... Uh, it's just... And then throw the, the Flash cameo in as, like, he's getting ready to go fight Bruce, and suddenly the Flash appears, and then disappears. You know, delivers his message, then disappears.
0: that would be interesting too or maybe Flash appears in a different dream but but, you know like I said
1: putting it all together just doesn't make sense well and the way they do the way they even uh, the Flash is even referenced there are people in the screening that I was with that were like I don't know who or what that was because the movie movie has a very dark color palette and the dream (laughs) takes place in the dark and there's lots of light going on in the dream where the Flash is breaking through the time barrier so I, there are people in our screening that, that were huge DC fans that, you know, waited for hours, and we saw it early, and they didn't know who the fuck it was, Rich. Like, they... <laughs> they I, I have to think they kept him purposely
0: obscured because they didn't quite finalize the design for the actual film.
1: That yeah, but that's, a- but that's... Okay, so then don't put it in. But don't make him so obscure that you can't figure out exactly... Because if you're going to have this obscure reference that people are going to be talking about, and people are talking about it, it should not be about, it should be about what we're talking about. Like, what it references, where it's going, what it's headed for. Not, who the fuck was that? Who, who was that? I think it was Ezra Miller. Was it Ezra Miller? I'm not sure it was Ezra Miller. I think it was Ezra Miller. So it's a flash. Oh, okay, well that makes sense. It shouldn't be a discussion where you have to explain it to somebody that, okay, so the Flash is this power, and he can come back through time. It, it should be, if you're going to try to lay groundwork like that, it should just be blatant. It should be, you know, hey, um, I'm starting the Avengers initiative. It should be easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's frustrating. it's frustrating that the movie is that vague in that moment, <laughs> and yet... When
0: Bruce is looking at the stolen files from, that he got from Lex Luthor, and he's seeing the Wonder Woman logo, the Flash logo, a big giant C for Cyborg, and everything on the you know labeling those files, it's so blatantly hit you over the head obvious. Label those. You know, if that scene had been just slightly different, right. the files maybe said, you know, Subject One, Subject
1: Two, Subject Three. Yeah, they just need... To, like right the, the logos. The logos are what push it over for me. The the other side of it is. Uh, you know what? What's one one woman's place in this movie? She's trying to find a particular photo, which is terrible for her because she's looking for an actual photo, and Lex has already put it on a hard drive, so <laughs> so it's it, you know it can be beamed to countless other people all over the world, and so her whole point of coming to Gotham and Metropolis is a waste. But that's that's like everything in the movie. Like there's no, you know. Well, Man's world for a hundred years, so she doesn't understand <laughs> <laughs> You're you're giving you're giving them stuff, Rich. You're giving it to them. Uh, they they haven't thought about that at all. Um, so some of the foreshadowing works. Yeah, no, Some of the foreshadowing works. Most of it doesn't, however. Um, mm-hmm. And the the key one of the key problems with the movie, and I think we're gonna, I think we're headed here, Rich, because we're we're the old guys talking about movies. Lex is the first millennial villain. I was trying to explain this to somebody. Millennials. Um, I'm old. I'm 42. They annoy me. They annoy me on a on a cellular level. I think I think they're. You know, I think this next generation behind us. I'm worried about them only because they say things to me where I work or where you work or anybody who listens to the podcast works. Where you just go, what did he just say? How does the, what? Like, uh, you know, I I need health insurance, but uh, I'm not going to get a job, you know, (laughs) or any like any of the weird things that happens. So Lex represents the first millennial villain. He is daddy's boy that's gone bad. Daddy broke him. Um, And he is, you know, he's he's super well educated. Um, I do enjoy uh, one thing I will say for for Eisenberg. He plays the character. I would imagine how it was completely written on the page. I also say that most of his bad moments come in the trailers that you've seen already and that almost all of his decent moments to good moments are in the movie for you to find. It's where... They're few and far between. But he does have a couple chilling moments where you go, maybe this is a Lex we could get to love. Although it's never going to be the Lex I want because I want the Clancy Brown Lex from the old Superman uh, television show where it's, you know, the industrialist, capitalist, soon-to-be-president Lex. You know what I mean? This is the whiny, uh, tech magnet, millennial, you know, there's a sequence with gummy bears or with Jolly Ranchers that is clearly such a, it's such a, okay, what candy can Lex use? Well, let's call Jolly Rancher and see if we can squeeze $200,000 out of them and we'll, we'll use Jolly Rancher's. And it's so uncomfortable, but it's also like it's this quasi—I don't know what it is. <laughs> what did you think of Lex Rich? Because because Lex is the key to the movie, and he's not great. He's not the Lex that I think we wanted.
0: No, um, and I find it interesting, you know, you know, thinking on Eisenberg's performance and your, you know, your observation that he's the first real millennial villain. And, and I'm trying to just that with some of the
1: news from back during casting that they were talking to Brian Cranston about playing Lex. Oh, God. I, I, don't you long for it. Like, I heard one of the interesting rumors that came up over in the last two weeks, because uh, Snyder's been running his mouth, which we're going to talk to in a second. Because I, 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 I think the reactions to the negative reviews are interesting, too. But one of the things that Snyder had said was he had talked to, at some point he had talked to Christian Bale about Bale appearing in the universe. And, I, you know, and I, and I was like running through my head, like, what, is, what was he talking about? And I, he kind of gave a hint that he had talked to Bale maybe about being Lex. And I thought to myself for a moment, just a moment, like, it, it could never work because people would never be able to get over the baggage. But if you told me before he became Batman that, that Christian Bale was going to be Lex Luthor, I would have been on board and and I think I think a great many people would have been on board, but Cranston would have been great too. Like anything, then I, I, wo- would, I wouldn't mind Christian
0: Bale coming in as maybe playing Thomas Lane.
1: Yeah, so you know, and, you know it's a small part, but it, it you know it allows to hand over you know right all and all in a way right and uh, you, like you calm know calm down people who are who are all like why not just bring Christian Bale back just... there. Uh, uh, well, and I I think that. that Right, it's a totally different franchise, I mean, and I don't know that Bale's, I, Bale's Batman would have worked, but I don't. I, I actually think Bale might have sat down at one point with Snyder and went, yeah, my Batman doesn't kill anybody at all. So, my Batman specifically doesn't kill anybody, but, you know, does harm people, but <laughs> specifically we, uh, flies out of the back of a subway train that's careening towards imminent death. That's my Batman. You know what I mean? And, you know, not certainly not Ben Affleck's Batman, who's branding people, and you know, killing. I haven't even gotten into that. The the, the frustrations with the idea of branding somebody and throwing them into prison with the bat symbol, with the idea that somebody's going to get killed because the second time you do that, Batman, you're causing that person's death, which is something that Batman. You know, it's the rule. It is the one rule. That Batman follows, right? It is the one rule, and I, I, I'm amazed that, you know, as cool as the Batman sequences are in this movie where he's beating people, he is also driving around, shooting things up a great deal, blowing things up randomly. That's still a problem from the the Man of Steel movie that they oh so try to get over in this movie, too. Another problem. Um, the, the concept that, oh, well, Metropolis, thank God, Metropolis isn't inhabited. It you know this late hour for this creature to be showing up and also uh every other fight happens at a place that's completely uninhabited i I think that's that's really the the franchise's reaction to the the criticism over the the death the perceived
0: death toll of the end of man of
1: steel yeah no no it's a knee-jerk reaction i agree with that totally yeah um it's Move where these fights happen to be, rather than actively show Superman moving the combat away from inhabited areas. Which, by the way, would have been easy to do in Man of Steel, yeah, because uh, he because part of
0: the
1: fight part of the fight takes place in Kansas. Why hasn't
0: he learned
1: that yet? That's that's pro- no, no, that's problematic. You're right, and and that's the funny thing about it was Zack Snyder kind of understands it, but he doesn't really understand it because he still wants to shoot in Metropolis and Gotham. And let's let's also talk about the fact really quick, Rich. Metropolis and Gotham are apparently the closest they've ever, ever, ever been in the history of any medium. Right across the bay. I think in the comics comics at times they've been across the bay from each other. Um, I know they've been like a short train ride away. Um, I I didn't have a, you
0: know, a problem with that, you know, positioning
1: them as, like, uh, an Atlantic Coast... Mid-Atlantic Coastal version of, like, Dallas-Fort Worth or right. Minneapolis-St. Paul or something like that. Yeah, no, no. I, well, and that's where... I, I mean, at, at that point, like, when you start... Like, at that point, I was kind of like, I'm done. I am i can't criticize... I'm not going to criticize anything else. I'm just going to kind of try to go with the flow of it. Um, okay, so we've had good points. There are bad points. You know, there's a lot of negative. You've been crunching numbers. I've been crunching numbers. I think the movie oh, needs to do a billion dollars, Rich. I, <laughs> for it to be a, a franchise viable, uh, superconductor. It needs to do a billion dollars. I don't know that it can. Cause I'm not worried about the opening weekend. Everybody's going to go see it. I, I think that's clear, right? It's on its way to an $180 million weekend had a 27.7, uh, you know, very close um, number-wise to the, the the biggest take of any Marvel movie, which I thought was a very valid, you know, interesting point that was thrown out in the media. Uh, you yeah, know, I, I think, um, well, I'm sorry, what did, what did you think? Oh, what? no, no, it, the, the gross is from Thursday night. They have at 27.7, which, of course, is okay. $100,000 $100, more than Age of Ultron. Which is the Thursday night record for a Marvel movie? So I, I thought that was kind of funny. That oh my god, a hundred thousand! Look, we found a hundred thousand dollars. It's right above it. Um, so what do you think? What do you? You've been crunching numbers. What are you looking at? Okay. Well,
0: um, first of all, you know, according to most projections, it's looking like it's going to pull somewhere between one hundred 170 and seventy and one hundred seventy-five million this weekend. Um, I went. I kind of low-balled it and went with around one hundred and seventy. And then I applied um, basically the Man of Steel model, uh, box office model, to this. Um, and, and I'm gonna, you know, before I kind of, you know, break that down a little bit, I'm gonna give some caveats. Man of Steel
1: had a Rotten Tomato score of 56 and a Cinema score of A minus. Yeah. Um, Not gonna be this way right now. Critics like this and 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 this so far, you know, as of this morning, uh, when we're recording.
0: Has a Rotten Tomato score of thirty percent and a Cinema score of B. So both criti- critics didn't like it a whole lot. Of, uh, you know, hated it much more than they were split on Man of Steel. Audiences are like, well, it's not quite as good as Man of Steel. You know, so, you know, dropping from an A
1: minus to a B. You know, that's so. That sounds bad, them Rich. Them. They, that sounds like your numbers are going to be awful, Rich. I'm not lying to you, like, Actually, the caveats right off the bat are like, oh my god, Warner, some Warner Brothers exec is jumping off the tower in, in Burbank. <laughs> well, you know, just taking a look, Man
0: of Steel's opening weekend was $116.6 million, and we're looking at 170. million. So just kind of taking what Man of Steel did its opening weekend versus its overall total domestic gross, uh, you know, kind of using that as a multiplier, um... And applying it to that 170 million for Batman v Superman, it's still looking like domestically, this movie's going to do about
1: 426 426.7 million. That is very that is very ex- excellent numbers from Rich Trees, the purveyor of Film Buff Online. Wow. Um, and, and I'm, I'm also going to you know and I'm going to apply the same
0: you know what you know the percentage of Man of Steel's foreign gross versus its domestic which was like 56.4 to 43.6. And then, you know, kind of factor that in. Your foreign gross is
1: probably going to be about $552 million. So we're, that gets a, we're close. It's a high of $979 million. We're close. So uh, it, could get close to, it could get close to a billion, but it, I don't see
0: it making that billion mark. It's going to clear that 800 million mark that they need to make for the film to...
1: Oh no! Okay. So, so you, this is good news for, for Warner brothers. I think, I think it's possibly the best news that they're going to have. They're going to look at our podcast, my podcast today and go, well, Rich Dries and JW found out. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's more Rich Dries than me. Um, I'm not nearly as hopeful. Cause I think, I, I think you could see a, you know, I, I know the fall is usually 50%. I think you could see a 60, 70% fall next week, like mm-hmm. dramatic, on its face, there, there's, there's off a cliff. Next
0: weekend, That's,
1: That's true. A yeah. The, the, the funny thing is, they now have to be be wary of the Juggernaut Melissa McCarthy movie coming two weeks from now. They're really cutting into business because um, she is a juggernaut. But so, is, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful for the future? I mean, with you know, they're gonna they're gonna make the Justice League movie, you, I, would, like, I would love for them to step back for a moment and just go, I don't know that Snyder's the right guy, and, and this is something I want to talk about tonally. So Zack Snyder pissed me off this week, um, and I think he pissed a lot of people off, but I don't know that it's being mentioned quite as much. Zack Snyder got on a high horse uh, with his 30% Rotten Tomatoes movie and his B Score movie, um, that's going to make a, a kajillion dollars, right? And he totally, totally, without any forethought of the malice he was causing, I think he totally dissed Grant Gustin and the Flash television show. I, I'm I'm so off on it with regards to how bad he, he's been. You know, where basically kind of just sat back and said, yeah, Grant Gustin's great for the television show, but totally he doesn't fit in with my cinematic universe. My reaction to that, Rich. That's a fair quote, though. Uh, no, he did. That's a, that's a fair statement. I mean, the the TV show and the whole Arrowverse is a lot lighter, even, even Arrow. Oh no, no, I I agree, but but Rich, here's right here's my here's my thought on it though. Here here's where I you know I you're right. He it's it's a true statement. I'm just saying he said it so condescendingly, and he said it in a way that kind of like you know oh he's great for television. He's a great television... So it's kind of like the Welling argument with Smallville... At some point that they had... But what I want to say is... I think for whatever reason... The funniest thing about the statement... The ironic thing about the statement... Is that... Snyder's like... Yeah, Guston doesn't fit in tonally with my universe... I feel Snyder doesn't fit tonally with the DC universe... So... <laughs> it's For me it's an ironic statement... Because I think the Flash and Arrow... And the DC universe that's on television right now is wholeheartedly better than the dark, bleak, grim, no humor, no love, no hope. You know, like cinema, DC cinematic universe. I think you know you have dark, dark versions of points of arrow. You have dark points of the Flash. You, but they they blend in this wonderful comic book love. You know what I mean? Even Supergirl, mining some of the old, really old Superman comics. All of these things—they blend them all so well. We're gonna have a giant crossover event tomorrow night. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. and at that point, I think we, we get to the point where we go like this. I, I just I look at it and I go, oh my god, what are we, what are we what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? And I I think for the ironic thing for me is that Gussin Gussin fits in better with the material than... Snyder fits in with the material. So I thought it was ironic that you're making these giant claims and you're you 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 kind of dissing a very popular show right now, and I think one of the best comic book shows ever put on television, and you, you diss it because of the tone, when in reality the person that has the tone totally wrong is you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Am I, am I close? Am I on the point with regards to Snyder? The funniest thing about Snyder is that he somehow doesn't get the tone?
0: Um, no, you're you're right. Snyder, Snyder's tone, I think, and, like I said, you know, earlier, he's a stylist, and he's going, oh, what would be cool visuals? And, um, you know, and he's kind of locked into that aesthetic that he developed in Sucker Punch and Watchmen, and he just carried it over. Um, is it right for this? And, (laughs) How much you know Jeff Johns at at Warner's has input onto some of this stuff because his comic writing, whether it was Stars and Stripe, uh, his reinvention of Flash, his reinvention of Green Lantern, it all very much was very positive and overall uh, bright. His Justice Society stuff was fantastic in the '90s uh, and early on, and you know, so I, I I'd love to get you know, personally, you know, if I was in charge, you know, just based on what I see,
1: you know... Just take him in a room and be like, can we get a little hope? Can we get a little humor? Can we get Batman I, I, throwing a joke at Clark? Something. I'd, I'd get Snyder out of there. And with... uh um, oh, so was rolling on, on Justice League Part 1 in a couple of weeks. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. No, I don't. I'd get Jeff Johns in there as the overall creative guy. Make him your Kevin
0: Feige. Kevin Feige, what he's done with Marvel Studios has been amazing. He, he's done the impossible repeatedly. He took a B-level character like Iron Man with a star who was on the outs in Robert Downey Jr.
1: Yeah, a $50 million, $50 million insurance, exactly. He, he brought the idea of comic book continuity
0: where you know characters from different series all inhabited the same world and could cross over from one to another and brought that to movies in a way that was much more... I mean, we've seen it before in... Like some of the Toho Godzilla films, and even Kevin Smith's Jersey movies, but but he brought it together in a way that really energized the idea and gave you know the, brought the superhero genre film to its next
1: level. Right. Oh, he so he allowed, I don't allowed for to see somebody like that. With that right. Kind of vision. He he allowed for organic growth of the properties. He allowed for. It to blossom, it just bloomed on its own, you know what I mean? We're gonna throw we're gonna throw a tie in here. We're gonna just throw a tag at the end of the movie. And and the funny thing about it was I one of the funniest things I, I encountered, uh so Batman vs. Superman, uh, spoiler alert, does not have any tag at the end. So you can sit through the credits all you want. There's nothing there. And enjoy I, the enjoy the music. Enjoy the music. Um the funniest thing there is the, uh, you know, the fans' reaction to it was. First off, everybody sat to the end of the credits because we're all Marvel Pavlovian dogs right now. And second, right, <laughs> we we are. And actually, you know what? We, we expect if we expect it now. Um, but the funny thing there is one of the Mar- one of the DC guys that I was I saw the movie with said if they did the tag at the end, they're copying Marvel, and if they don't do the tag at the end, they're not as cool as Marvel. They're, they're damned, right? They're damned if they do, and they're damned if they don't. And I said, "Well, yeah, but you got to side on the damn do, don't you? You have to, <laughs> you have to side on that you have people sitting in their seats and that they want to see more material from you, right? Think about that. Think about taking the Batman sequence, uh, the the nightmare sequence where the Flash shows up and throwing that at the tag at the end. Yeah, people would yeah, have lost their minds." People would have been crazy and been and would have left the theater with a sense of hope and a sense of, it. you know, wow, they gave me something. Can I ask you a question? We were talking about Snyder and his tone. I, and it's an interesting theory. Can you solve the tone of a piece with one or two characters? Because I think the Flash and Green Lantern are hopeful characters. They're certainly more hopeful than Batman. So what we've seen is Man of Steel adds Batman... Things get more grim, more bleak. Can you drop the Flash and Green Lantern in the water and make it more hopeful? Because I, I, I don't know. Because you know, I don't know how they're gonna play it. But the Flash should not be serious, right? I mean, there's no way the Flash should be as serious as Wonder Woman, Batman, or Superman, right? So can can Snyder get over the tone just by dropping? You know, two two coins in the water. Cyborg seem it seems like it's going to be a serious character. Aquaman seems like he's going to be deadly serious. Like we're not taking any jokes. You know, fuck you all, you all Aquaman haters out there. He's gonna he's gonna kick some ass. He's moving super fast to the ocean. Bite me. You know what I mean. His little clip is yeah. his little clip is borderline terrifying. To be honest, um, you know, in, in the movie, his his clip is. And and Cyborgs is right out of, you know, Sam Raimi, uh, House of Horrors, you know, sci-fi movie. You know what I mean? So Part of, part of it reminded me of the, the very horror moment in Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock. The Doc Ock doctor sequence. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Like, just the, you know, the the shrieks and the terror and the, you know...
0: Mm-hmm. And, and some of it <laughs> reminded me of, like, David Cronenbergian uh,
1: body horror. Yeah, no, no, exactly... I, I look at it and I go, "Oh, I don't know. That character could be super dark." Cyborg always comes across to me on, in the DC animated movies as as happy as, you know, not happy, but he's growing into. I'm a cyborg. I'm half man, half machine. There are some cool things I can do. You know what I mean? Like, and I certainly don't know where they're gonna how they're gonna have Shazam in this world. This dark, grim world where you have a 9 year you know, a ten-year-old kid who becomes a superhero. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know yeah. what to, to make of it. Like, Rich, it's so dark. I,
0: Honestly, I, I think the character, to really kind of, you know, maybe make that total shift um, and to, to one of more hopefuls. I know there's been some interviews recently that said, you know, uh, Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman, which, you know, both last and are in various stages of post-production now, uh, are going to be totally a little bit lighter than these last two
1: movies. They're totally different. Um, I don't know how you could not be lighter, though, (laughs) Rich. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, Apocalypse at the end of Man of Steel, and then this is just, you know, for, for people who haven't seen it, the last 20 minutes are... Uh, grim, to say the least, you know what I mean, like, at best, they're they're maudlin', <laughs> you know what I mean, like, at best, there's a weepy, oh my god, really, okay, um, <laughs> well, the little girl had the red jacket, at least we could get around that, you know, what I mean? like, yeah. she didn't make it, though, because the red jacket, but it's similar in tone, actually, to be honest, um, so yeah, I, I, maybe maybe you're right about that. Maybe Wonder Woman's the character. Maybe they, they built because there's definitely that's the one hopeful moment for me in the entire film is the smile, the smile after getting knocked on her ass, and she kind of just rolls over and has that like, you know, some days you get knocked down, <laughs> and this is going to be one of those days. Um, but.
0: for the Amazons, coming to man's world to, um, you know, preach peace. Sometimes need to be strong to, you know, help make that peace happen. But, you know, she's been that ambassadorial figure to show men a better way.
1: I don't oh, know, that's... That... If they, if they could tap into that over the next couple of films. That would be interesting. I mean, I, we know that the current Wonder Woman movie is going to be pretty much just set in 1960. Which I'm intrigued by. I'm, I I love that because I'll be honest. I'm one of the, I'm one of the big proponents of Captain America, the First Avenger. So I'm all about the idea of going back in time and doing that and trying to trying to give us a little bit of a, a change of pace, something. You know what I mean? But I I, I think the overall thing about Batman versus Superman dawn of justice people are gonna go see it I want I would love for it to be everything we want as a comic book fan and a movie fan I don't know that we got it though rich I your final thoughts on on where we're at do you think we're I, I don't know that we're okay either I, I don't know that I don't know that DC's out of the woods I, I I know oh the one thing I do want to talk about before we go I thought the most telling thing for me in the weekend where Batman versus Superman's opening on Thursday night I watched all the the uh, the Shonda Rhimes movies, uh, shows with my wife, and in the middle of the in the middle of the Shonda Rhimes shows, there was a commercial from Captain America: Civil War, and the commercial is a thirty second commercial. But in thirty seconds, there's more humor in the thirty second commercial for Civil War than all of Dawn of Justice, and it basically uh-huh. it, it ends with Hawkeye and Black Widow uh, kind of in a, a an MMA fighting embrace, and you know, she looks up at him with her with her amazing eyes and says, are, we're still going to be friends after this, right? And he's like, depends on how hard you hit me. Funny. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> and in a world where we have Batman versus Superman, in a world where we have people <laughs> fighting, yeah, that's the question, man. Are, are we still going to be friends. Well, it depends on how hard you hit me. You know, that's good stuff, you know? What are your final thoughts, Rich?
0: through a combination of, you know, some smart planning, some good writing, some very good choices in terms of like, you know, with the tone and things like that. Um, I don't think Marvel's way of doing an interconnected cinematic
1: universe is the only way to do it. Oh, good call. Uh, Yeah, I think looking at, you know, what Warner's did, here's here's the key, the keystone
0: hero of our universe, and then in the next movie we introduce the other two who form a trinity, you know, of of heroes, and then we'll have a side movie with some villains, and then we'll have another movie that kind of details some of the, the history of our world through one of the hero characters, and then we'll bring more in. That, that's a fine way to do it. I think tonally, though, they, they've kind of, uh, they've gone a little too dark, really, for for the material, and I think that as somebody who's been reading DC Comics since 1979, I, I, when I first was given Action Comics five hundred, <laughs> um, and, and granted, you know DC over the years has shifted wildly in tone. You know, look at like some of the pre-crisis stuff. Look at 1960's Batman versus Frank Miller's Batman for You know, those are crazily different tones. Uh, but overall, you know, I think the stronger, maybe creative vision, and even this movie, you know, some of the changes we talked about with just
1: a tweaking, and a tweaking of the editing. The editing was awful. You're right. A tweaking of the editing. The editing was terrible. Like, it was very choppy. The first hour and a half are very choppy. So, uh, you're right. And Maybe maybe a tweaking to make it a little bit lighter. Just do something to give the audience a break. Yeah, I, I think that they can make this a, you know, a more, uh, I don't want to say viable, because obviously, looking at the box office,
0: you know, seems to be commercially viable at least, but artistically successful, I can say. Um, uh, Making this a franchise that's going to have longer legs than, you know, even what they already have planned out in 2020. Uh, And just remember, too, and honestly, at this point, spoiler for literally the last 10 seconds of (laughs) Batman vs. Superman here, the movie does end on that note of, oh, and we know where that's going to pick up, and at that point, this, does Superman become a, you know, more of a hopeful character in actual presentation on the screen rather than us just being told that he is but never actually seeing him because Snyder can't do that kind of work? Or, you know, or my big fear is Snyder's going to go, you know, beyond whole wrong with the
1: Christ allegory stuff. Well, or, and actually, I would... Uh... The Man of Steel kind of works, the Garden of Gethsemane. He has that moment of doubt and then maybe, in super broad terms, this is funny that we're talking about, the best Easter weekend, and the movie about out Easter weekend. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Because Batman versus Superman could be Superman's passion. <laughs> and, and <laughs> oh my God. Uh, God, Rich, that blows my mind. Um, I would argue that the end it justifies it. Well, we know where it's headed, we don't even need it. But, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate, it. this is, what a discussion. We've gone an hour... Um, so the show's going to be like an hour and twenty minutes this week. I appreciate you coming. Where can people find you online? That, I wanted to throw that last bit in just to make sure my parents got their money's worth out of my four years of Catholic high school tuition. <laughs> there you go, exactly. Where can people find you online, Rich? Where, where? What's your your media footprint? My media footprint,
0: everything
1: is at <laughs> filmbuffonline dot for uh, the uninitiated. news, Latest news, features
0: weekend just very coincidentally uh wasn't pre-planned this way we have the latest installment and in my friend bill Gatabaskis's long-running series on the history of the comic book
1: film uh it's called it's about green lantern and what the problem guys went into that movie uh and he calls it dc's first failure to launch uh, <laughs> oh my god that's a matthew mcconaughey movie it's a matthew mcconaughey movie waiting, McConaughey waiting to happen to okay well Thank you so much, Rich Drees joining us. What an incredible discussion. Uh, and we will definitely have to delve into this further at some point and have Rich on again. Uh, I appreciate I w- it. I
0: would love to, like, maybe a month from now, sit down and look at the box office and, you know,
1: again. parse it. Yeah, really, and... really go over it. But uh, thank you, Rich, for Thanks. joining us. Have a great day. And Thanks. You too, buddy. Yeah, I want to thank the amazing Rich Darius for joining me on this episode. And that's been all about Batman versus Superman. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at the Florida Movie Guy. You can find Rich uh, on, you know, with Film Buff Online, which is a great movie lover's website. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well uh, at JWPA Movie Guy. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I hope uh, all the people that you know, I've met at all these premieres. I start to listen to the show regularly. Tell your friends about me. Uh, hopefully you enjoy what you hear. And uh, come back and visit us again at the concession stand where the popcorn's always hot and the soda's always cold and the candy's always tasty. Have a great day and happy movie going.